This Knowledge at Wharton podcast was produced in conjunction with GE Capital. For more information, please visit gecapital.com slash Americas. I'd like to welcome two experts on transportation to today's podcast at Knowledge at Wharton. They are Bruce Allen, and he's a professor emeritus of business economics and public policy at Wharton, and Dan Clark, who's the president and general manager of transportation finance at GE Capital Equipment Finance. Uh, It's a pleasure to have both of you with us today, and we're going to look at some of the most pressing issues in the U.S. trucking industry. So thanks for joining us. It's great to be here. Yeah, great to be here. Uh, Another uh, interesting and potentially huge issue is uh, the idea of uh, conversion from diesel to natural gas, given the uh, uh, shale gas boom in the U.S. and all the talk of, uh, relatively speaking, cheap natural gas and huge supplies and all of that. Um, and so naturally, uh, thoughts go to you know, making these big rigs run on natural gas rather than diesel. Could uh, Maybe, Dan, you could start with what, what are some of the implications of that I'm sure there's there's lots, and I'm sure it's expensive. Uh, and uh, just in terms of uh, is is that likely to happen? Is it practical? What's the payback period if we do it? Uh, and of course, uh, what are some of the benefits? In, in addition to cheaper cheaper fuel, there's the uh, the uh, advantages for the environment, for example. Yeah, sure. I, I'm personally very excited about. It. I think that, that uh, natural gas is, you know, it won't replace diesel at least not in my lifetime, but I think within the next, my opinion is within the next five to eight years, it could easily support 20, 25% of the U.S. Uh, trucks will be, you know, natural gas produced, come, being new. Um, you know, some of the problems are right now is it's just, just a pure cost factor. If you, if you look at the CNG, compressed natural gas, those trucks can can cost anywhere from thirty to sixty thousand dollars more than a comparable diesel because of the tanks involved and and the the engines and so on and so forth. Uh, LNG, liquefied natural gas, that same truck is, is probably a little bit cheaper on the from the tank perspective, but it's uh, still twenty to forty thousand dollars more. So there's a there's a big upfront cost difference, and while uh, that is offset by the cost of fuel. The, you know the payback in the case of you know, most of them is somewhere around at 115,000 miles a year. We estimate the payback at somewhere around 18 months, and if they get up closer to 150,000 miles a year, which is really on the high extreme, it, it can be 12 to 14 months. So, you know, the the it's there. Uh, gas is obviously natural gas is obviously very plentiful in the U.S. and I and I'm, it has to be one of those fuels that we move to. Uh, you know, I remember back, or I don't remember, but I've been doing it a long time, but if you read back in the history of transportation, back in the in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, everything was gasoline, and when diesel came out, there was a lot of discussion whether diesel would take over, but diesel is a very, very efficient fuel and, and has served industry well. But like I said, I, I really foresee natural gas getting into that 25, 30% range of, of the fleet in the not-too-distant future. You know, some of the problems you have are uh, right now you, you, you're in the early stages, so technology is kind of changing. Uh, Cummins is coming out with new engines, and, and that, that's, that's important. Uh, you've got in, infrastructure build-out, which is probably the biggest item right now for, for long haul. Uh, most of the natural gas trucks being sold now are what we call you know, shorter haul. They'll run you know, 200, 250 miles each way and come back. 
that they, that way they don't have to depend on the infrastructure. But if you're going to have a national footprint, you're going to have to have a, a national footprint of uh, uh, stations to be able to fill up either natu- uh, CNG or LNG. And then, you know, the final piece that has to come into play is, is what are we going to do with these units in the secondary market? Is there going to be a secondary market like there is for diesel uh, to, to be able to, to sell them and, and move them on and get new new trucks in there? So there's a lot of unknowns, but, but I'm very, very excited about the, the opportunity and the prospect for natural gas. Yeah, I, I share that also. Uh, and uh, from what I've seen, Dan, that your estimates coincide with what Citigroup estimates. They estimate about 30 percent by 2020. But if you're uh, T. Boone Pickens, <laughs> he thinks there's going to be 70 percent by, by 2020. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of things, I think, that are making this happen uh, or can make this happen. And the, and the fuel cost differential is one of them. Uh, I read something someplace where UPS estimates savings of 30 to 40 percent by using uh, liquefied natural gas, which which seems to be, at least from a study in California, the preferred method uh, over diesel. Uh, and I've also heard, uh, and this is a clean energy sort of uh, T. Boone Pickens thing too, that the payback period is in the one to three year range. So I think there's there's a lot of great potential in here. Probably going to be good for the environment also in terms of a cleaner burn. Uh, UPS has made a major commitment uh, to you know, get a lot of trucks in this regard. FedEx has too. And the consumers of their services are pressing them also to, to be clean and green. P&G, Walmart, uh, for instance, have pressured the truckers to be better citizens, if you will. Do either of you know what the um, uh, advantages are when it comes to the carbon footprint? How much is is eliminated? Yeah, it, from what from what I, studies I've read on it, they estimate somewhere in the neighborhood of 20%. Is compared, it's a reduction of twenty percent, uh, and that's uh, that's pretty significant. Since uh, well, I know diesel engines have gotten a lot cleaner in the last ten or fifteen years, but they're still considered. Uh, you know, they they still put out more than gasoline engines, I believe. So, and that's what's good about it. really when you look at natural gas, you're you're right. That's without uh, diesel today needs to have after treatment. And there are a lot of attachments put onto the engines to have them burn as clean as they do. So this is, you know, natural gas is just pure natural gas in, natural gas out. There's no after-treatment that needs to be uh, provided, which is a real benefit as well. Okay. Uh, I want to turn now to uh, intermodal competition. Uh, and, Bruce, maybe you can start off with this. So what is the state of competitive play in the intermodal market right now? Uh, maybe you can start out talking about, what that mark? What isn't the intermodal market for listeners that might not be so familiar? What are the trends, and what are the more successful business models? Well, intermodal uses more than one mode of transportation. So there's literally everything you can think of. There's there's truck and uh, rail, which is piggyback. There's there's truck and uh, water, which is fishyback, and there's truck and air, which is birdieback, and so on. But I think in our context, what we're talking about is basically truck and, and rail. And that's been the growing segment of the marketplace. It's still pretty small. But if you look at the Commodity Transportation Survey, and this is a, the equivalent of our census, and there's a census of transportation that occurs every five years. The last one is in 2012, and we have some preliminary results. In terms of uh, the ton miles, it's up to 6.5% of the ton miles, and it was 5.9% in 2007. With the exception of basically pure truck, 
nobody else has grown over that period of time. Not even pure rail has grown. Uh, so pure truck and pure rail have actually grown from the 2007 to 2012 period of time. Uh, so I think the, the, the trend is, is going in the direction of, of intermodal in terms of truck rail. Uh, we have two major truckers, and that would be Schneider National and also uh, J.B. Hunt, that have basically gone to maybe not a 100% model, but a significant percent of their traffic is now going intermodal, uh, which means that they provide little relatively short or regional hauls on both the origin and the destination side, but the rail does the major line haul. So you think about this because everything, the truck going across the highway requires one guy for each trailer. The whole train can require as few as two individuals for the whole train. Now, you need people at the origin and destination and so on. But in terms of that labor, you're saving all that. You're saving the fuel that exists. Uh, the downside is you have some terminal time, and terminal times are always bad. But these trains generally run with priority, so they eliminate intermediate yardings, which is where the huge problem occurs in on the rail. So Schneider and, and J.B. Hunt seem to be doing pretty well. UPS is also a significant user of uh, intermodal services. So I'm, I'm very optimistic about this particular market, too. The only thing that can happen is the rail can drop the ball. And that's what rail historically has done. But I think the new railroads are, are the modern railroads, and they're much more capable of delivering the goods than railroads before. But they're by no means perfect. Just to put that in perspective, and uh, I agree with him 100%, just to give everybody an idea, in the first quarter of this year alone, uh, approximately 3.2 million containers and or trailers were moved via rail. So that, that just gives you an idea of the magnitude of what, what we're talking about. And that's up almost 4% year over year. So this intermodal is, is a very big part of the industry, and it's growing, uh, and, it, and it serves a very good need for the, for the long-haul part of it. As the professor has talked about, um, the challenges are at, at both the loading, loading section and the uh, taking the trailers and containers off at the other end. There's... There can be congestion and problems at that point for just on time delivery, but they are the railroads are working much better at that than what they were even three years ago. And I, as they you know continue to evolve, I think that, that those problems will disappear. Uh, and I wanted to ask also about regulation and what's the state of play regarding regulation of the trucking industry today. I can start with that. I mean, regulation in the trucking industry it's just it, it to some degree. You could say it's almost out of control. Um, you know, there, there's just a lot, and, and and as you look at it, sure, there's a need for it. And, but I, I I always use the, the story that it takes it's it's easy for everybody to get mad at trucks, so it's easy to pass regulation on it. But uh, you know, some of them are very good. If you look at like an electronic onboard logging, which logs the driver's hours, that is is very important because because nobody wants to have a driver that that is over and been on the in the truck too long and and it's just not safe for for the public or for him or her so some of those are, are very important and it puts a uh, the industry kind of on, on a level playing field but then you get other ones uh, whether it be the, the the CSA which is compliance and safety and accounting program it's basically it's a it's a measuring uh, unit for to measure all the different fleets against each other from a, from a safety and accountability standpoint 
while it sounds good on the surface, the implementation is really very, very difficult. As a matter of fact, the, the GOA has, has said, you know, that, that, you know, it doesn't even have a predictive relationship to crashes. So, you know, while the regulations are, are important and needed, I think that, that at times they, they probably overreach and, and don't accomplish their, their ultimate goals. Yeah, I think uh, the regulation that we're going to have is going to be safety regulation. Uh, one of the big difficulties is there really are a lot of, of, of poor vehicles out on the road. And the problem is just simply enforcement, the, the people power uh, to make these enforcements. So uh, when you read the stories about when they pull trucks over and the number of them that, that have faulty brakes and so on, and uh, the story of the Chinese buses that occurred recently, I think many of them have disappeared because literally every bus they pulled over uh, and every driver uh, had a problem associated uh, with, with him or her. Uh, so I think safety regulations where we have it, the vehicles are one, the driver is the other. And, and uh, my thing was and another reason there's such uh, movement for trucking safety is and we're out there driving your smart car and you look in your rearview mirror and you see this 18-wheeler, this 80,000-pound behemoth uh, right two inches off your bumper, Indianapolis-style. Oh, by the way, can I just make two other statements? Uh, please. Uh, one is that, I, I, as I mentioned before, that, that trucking and intermodal, they're the ones that have grown in the two commodity surveys from 2007 to 2012. Uh, so truck is still going strong. In, t- in terms of the value of goods moved, trucking is out there at about somewhere in the neighborhood of almost 80% of all the value, maybe a little less, 75% of all the value. But the other one to me that is so interesting is the courier express and parcel market which basically is just UPS, FedEx, and the Postal Service. And the Postal Service, as we all know, isn't doing very well, but they do participate in this market, but, but not a heck of a lot. But that type of business is right now at about 12% of the value of goods that move around. It's not a lot of ton miles, but it's how all the pharmaceuticals and the computers and the parts and stuff like that move. So it's an extremely important market. And that does not account for the regular trucking business of FedEx, which is the biggest LTL trucker out there, nor the regular trucking business of UPS, which is the fourth biggest trucker that's out there. So these guys are juggernauts in the marketplace. And so uh, here's one where, where the DOJ would get in. If UPS and FedEx, and they're worlds apart, ever considered a merger, <laughs> no way that's ever going to happen. These guys are just dominant. And in the CP, uh, Courier Express and Parcel market, you can see they drove out uh, DHL. But, but perhaps with all of the... Uh all the issues in the market between the you know investments that might be needed for natural gas and the driver issues and all that, uh, it sounds like uh, it might be ripe for some consolidation for some of the bigger fleets to 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 uh, you know take on some acquisitions and grow even more at the expense of some of the smaller ones. No, I, yeah, I don't think there's any question you're going to see. I mean, we've seen consolidation and we're going to continue to see it. I mean, the bigger are going to get bigger, and it's it, it's more and more difficult for the for the small. Operator, the professor talked about the owner-operator. I mean, they they're going going away by the day because they just can't can't afford to operate on their own. They can't they don't get the discounts on the fuel. They don't get the other discounts on insurance. It's just economics just don't work. And and as you get the the small and medium-sized fleet, say 25 to 250 trucks, 
it, the economies of scale just aren't there that the J.B. Hunts and the Snyders and the U.S. Expresses and the Swifts have. So it, uh, you're going to continue to see consolidation. While I, I do think there's always going to be a need for, for some of the smaller guys because they, they provide a different level of service potentially for some shippers, but, uh, but the consolidation is something that's here to stay. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Uh, the truckload side is interesting because the, the uh, market shares are so small, usually so small that the Justice Department would, wouldn't even look at them. They don't even get anywhere near the HHI criteria that the, that the Justice Department has for mergers. Uh, the, the lesson truckload guys, on the other hand, uh, there you already have guys with big market shares and, uh, so, and, and not very many players, whereas the truckload industry has a gazillion players in it still. But even those guys, I mean, Swift has gotten bigger because they've eat, eaten up other carriers out there. So I think it's going to be interesting to occurs. But relatively speaking, that truckload industry is, is phenomenally unconcentrated. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.